Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show, the final one of the offseason. So, what did we learn after three weeks of OTAs and two days of mandatory minicamp? What are the questions, maybe even some concerns, as the team breaks for the summer? It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 570, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a 5, he's in again! Some more Murray magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So, final day of minicamp. You are out there, Paul, brave in the heats, and maybe a little bit more brave than myself as, yes, I wore shorts. Paul did not, but that Arizona sun beating down on all of us, I think I get a pass, don't you think? Well, I tried to negotiate for the right to wear shorts in my last contract, and uh, I was denied. So I I took that personal, uh, somewhat understandable, but uh, those who have earned the right to wear shorts, like you and Dave Pash, and there are those who have not. Now, Ron Wolfley falls somewhere in between. He's been wearing the same camo shorts for a good two decades, including today. I mean, Wolf, it's time to retire the camo shorts. So uh, there's some injustice, I think, and inequality in how the shorts rule is being applied, and I do plan to protest accordingly. See, I just follow the Darren Urban rule. Okay. If Darren does it, then I do it. I, I just, see. I just, you know, kind of right. follow the leader kind right. of a thing. Okay. So once yeah. I see Herb, as right. Wolfley likes to call him, then all bets are off and everything is yeah. okay. Well, we all know Darren's a made man around here, <laughs> so I'm not sure that I can aspire really to, uh, you know, follow the same sort of playbook that he does. But uh, you know, okay, until you're told otherwise, why not? Exactly. Yeah. And the Cardinals on the football field, and it was, it wasn't too, too bad out there on Wednesday, but I admit, I saw something during the open portion of practice that I had not seen before. I've not been covering this team as long as you. I will not date you. However, there was a drill, a little role reversal, if you will, after the team stretch. Did you notice the quarterbacks throwing to defenders, the linebackers, defensive backs, the D linemen were doing their own thing, the offensive linemen were doing their own thing, and then the offensive player. Running backs, wide receivers were coming up as if they were going to lay the lumber on them and tackle them. And there were some, it got a little, not heated, but a little competitive with the yeah. Buda Baker trying to zigzag out of, you know, the way of uh, Antoine Wesley, if you will. Yeah, was that all in good fun because it was the final session before so. training camp? Or were they actually trying to see which <laughs> member of the offense could actually tackle in the event of an interception and having to prevent a pick six? I mean, there are times where the offensive guys have to turn into tacklers, not often, hopefully, but it does happen. And yes, I, you could tell that the defensive guys relish the opportunity to put that ball, just to tuck it and run it and maybe make an offensive guy look bad. And Marco Wilson had a pretty good head and shoulder fake. He wasn't bad. And then uh, James Washington was giving uh, uh, Tweezy a hard time saying, man, can you, can you just make contact of any sort, Antoine Wesley? So, you know, but Antoine Wesley at 6'4", it's kind of yeah. hard to, to drop the hips and, and try and make a tackle in space. And a little trash talk. I think it was Antonio Hamilton out there that said, hey, this is easy. I mean, you guys got it made. Talking about the <laughs> offensive players trying to just – got to do is just catch the ball we're the ones that actually have to make the tackle right so and you know what every time we see like a Jalen Thompson or a Buda Baker make that tackle in space and quite often a touchdown saving tackle in the second or third level of the defense 
Look, as a former hard-hitting high school safety myself, believe me, making a tackle in space, honestly, could be the most difficult thing pound for pound, inch for inch on a football field where you have to bring down a dynamic offensive player and there's no one around you and you somehow have to make that open field tackle. That is a skill that 0.01% of football players on this earth can make at the NFL level. Well, the ball carrier is coming at you, and there are a lot of players, defenders, that will just make a business decision and and try to just slow that ball carrier down a little bit and wait for a little extra help. So I do think it was all in good fun, whether we see it again or not, but I'll... I do like the fact that on this last day, Thursday canceled. Kingsbury has done that over the last several years, so not a surprise that it was a two-day minicamp versus a three-day minicamp, but just to change it up a little bit. And then there was full work to be done. Another thing I noticed, and this should be good news for all Cardinal fans, for the first time, Max Williams running routes, catching passes on the side. Man, that... You want to believe, right? You want to believe that Max Williams will be a factor this season. We know what the Cardinals offense looked like with their 2A tight end early last season. We know how he has the ability to be stout at the point of attack and yet keep a defense honest down the seams. Max Williams has that great energy on the sideline. He's about as likable and about as popular as anybody on the offense. I love his stories when he was a high school running quarterback, and he loves to tell Kyler that you know, he had his day in the sun as a running quarterback. He would run over guys now. He wouldn't run around them. But if Max Williams can be that guy combined with Zach Ertz and Trey McBride, even if it's – honestly, even if it's not until Halloween, even if he starts the year on pop, and I don't know where this is tracking – uh, you know, we have come to learn based on some of the press conferences that he's had multiple knee surgeries or at least a follow-up procedure of some sort. So what sort of trajectory is he on? He was asked about it this week, Cliff Kingsbury. Yep. And, and of course, he wasn't given any sort of timetable. Mentioned that they would see where they stood with Max yeah. Williams at the end of training camp, which is, again, It's been hard to be optimistic with Max Williams, but I am encouraged because not that it was full speed, but it was football activity. The first real football activity, side-to-side movement, some little cutting as well. That's what I was going to say. Was he actually going laterally? Was it just straight ahead, or was there actually some... He was making moves, still had that brace on the right right leg. I mean, it's a large brace, but still moving. And again, I think this team, we know it functioned better more efficiently with Max Williams on the football field. You take him off the football field, and things got a little dicey last season. I still go back to Trey McBride. It was one of his first press conferences with the media. The second-round rookie out of Colorado Strait, the Cardinals' top draft pick this year, and during the course of the press conference, he maybe said a little too much, a little bit, when he said Cliff Kingsbury wants to, quote, disguise the offense a little bit more, end quote. So for all the Cardinals fans in the offseason, we're going, what's the deal with the tight ends? Because seemingly, especially earlier in the offseason, that was the only position group yes. they had addressed. Well, there were more at one point this offseason, Paul. I got to get this in. <laughs> no, go ahead. There were more tight ends on the roster than there were wide receivers. <laughs> That's great. I did not know that. That's good. That's good knowledge right there. And it proves the point that there's been an emphasis in the offseason to disguising the offense a little bit more. And how do you do that? 
with two-way tight ends, just tight ends, period, but especially the guys who, when they're on the field, you don't know if the offense is going to run it or they're going to throw it. And Trey McBride, there's a reason why they had him rated so high on their board and why, why middle of the second round when the Cardinals were making their pick, why Trey McBride stood out. And then, of course, you factor in perhaps the unknown when it comes to the knee injury and Max Williams, something we didn't quite realize or grasp at the time back in April, then, all right, now you realize why Trey McBride was the guy. And so, especially when DeAndre Hopkins comes back, think about all the weapons at the disposal of Kyler Murray. And it's one of the reasons that Cliff Kingsbury joked in one of his final press conferences that he's getting away for three weeks plus. Nobody's going to be able to reach him. And he needs the mental health because he needs like this this Buddhist-type zen when he comes back because as soon as D-Hop is healthy, there's going to be too many weapons, not enough footballs, and the guy calling the plays is going to hear it from the sideline. And this talk about multiple tight ends on the field at the same time even goes back before what I think was the biggest news of the offseason, and that was DeAndre Hopkins being suspended for the first six games of the season. That happened May 2nd after the draft. Now, after we had known about any of this. Now, did the team have an inkling that this was happening? So how much is this, hey, Zach Ertz, Trey McBride, Max Williams on the field, a result of we need to be a little bit more efficient with our offensive play calling and disguise some things based off last season, or predicated because, hey, we're missing number 10 for a third of the season. We need to figure out a way because last season – we did not know what to do when D-Hop was not on the field. And the answer is yes, all of the above. I, I would agree. All of those were factors, and it led to the selection of Trey McBride. And I think it's going to lead to a little bit different offense. I think that if you read between the lines, whether it's Cliff Kingsbury himself, whether it's uh, Mike Berkovici, who's been recently elevated to offensive assistant on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports, there is this consistent pattern of the coaches on offense citing the need to run the ball effectively to be a winning team. Like the Cardinals weren't starting 7-0 and 10-2. Everybody now, like the Cardinals failed to do, at least stay as balanced, stay as effective running the ball in that last five or six games of the year. And, And look, whether you want to say, okay, any team has to stay balanced, yes. But in the Cardinals' case, maybe it led to them becoming a little more predictable. And maybe that's a common denominator between the end of 2020 and the end of 2021. There's 8, 10, 12 weeks worth of film out there for defensive coordinators to digest and dissect. And a couple of players have cited that as well, that, look, the book is out on you. By the time you get to December, you got to continue to evolve or at least stay balanced enough so it's not as predictable. So I think these are all things that have gone into self-scouting in the offseason. And then we've seen the conclusions and the objectives and the implementation of a game plan going forward. Calvin Beecham mentioned, but didn't specify changes being made to the offense and that leaves us with okay what are those changes in Kingsbury several times the benefit of this offseason OTAs being on the field some tweaks throwing things out there on the football field that they had drawn up on the chalkboard and he mentioned 50 percent would likely be stay and then 50 percent would just go whatever the quarterbacks like so and you know what was real interesting the question to him initially was, how much new stuff do you try out over OTAs in a minicamp during the course of an offseason? And his response was immediate, and it was definitive, and it was a lot. He said, I I try out a lot of new stuff. And then, like you said, typically they keep about 50% of it. 
Because you're talking about a head coach who's constantly watching film from all levels of football, other NFL teams. He's watching Major D1 and the Power Five conferences. He's watching schools like Liberty, Malik Willis, and, and really Hugh Freeze. So he watches offensive minds, and, and he knows which coaches, because of his experience in the college game, which guys are innovative in the college game. It doesn't necessarily have to be D1. It can be various levels. And we all know that if you talk to these coaches, and we could talk about this for three hours, but you know a lot of the innovations in the game come from the high school level. And then the high school level pushes it to the college level as those high school players graduate to the college level. Well, now as those college players get to be NFL age and capable, that's when it starts infiltrating the pro game. And we have seen this, including Kyler Murray and company, this this recent avant-garde type of class of a player. And so you've seen a different offense and you've seen a different quarterback and that trickles down. The elevation of the mobile quarterback in the NFL prevalent in high school and college. Now we're seeing it more and more in the NFL. Now, part of that 50% that was thrown out there this offseason, might that include the 50% that stays? Might that include what I certainly perked up when I heard on the Dave Hash podcast Zach Ertz mentioned playing a little ex-receiver, a little outside receiver with DeAndre Hopkins not being there. He brought it up. Pash did not. Ertz brought it up unsolicited, said he did it with Philadelphia. Might we see him, and I'm not, Paul, I'm not talking about an entire game or an entire half, but maybe a handful of plays. Sure. Certain, uh, given a certain game plan against a certain opponent just to change it up because I think this offense needs as explosive as it can be it just needs to look a little different. Yeah. So think about it. What if the defense sees, okay, Zach Ertz is in the huddle. That's 11 personnel, one back, one tight end. And then when the Cardinals break the huddle, Zach Ertz goes out to the X. He goes out to the far outside receiver. Now, <laughs> that's interesting. Do you have a linebacker go all the way out and cover him in that much space? All of a sudden, you're really stressing a defense, and I'm guessing that's Kyler's first read. Who exactly are they sending out there on six foot five Zach Ertz when he's playing the X? So, yes, those there are possibilities right there because if your top three receivers are Rondell Moore, AJ Green, and Hollywood Brown, not necessarily in that order, until you get D Hop back, who are your best your best four yes. receiving targets? Well, you probably have to throw Zach Ertz in next. So now, okay, what are the different configurations and schemes that you can run with those four receivers? And, and yes, that would be a derivation thereof, wouldn't it not? And he has played, we saw last season, he has played in the slot. We have seen him line up as a wide receiver. And you look out there and it's four wide, yet what do we say? Well, it's going to get marked in. Well, that was 11 personnel because the tight end is on the field, even though the tight end is acting as a wide receiver. So I just think... Something different. And mm-hmm. then I'll go back to something that's a conversation that you had with Sean Jefferson way back in February on the Big Red Rage talking about Rondell Moore. It was the first inkling of the offseason in which we kind of got a window and what this offense could look like maybe a little bit different from 2021, and that was expanding the route tree. Growing his route tree was the words of Coach Jefferson talking about now going into his second year, Rondell Moore. And that is intriguing 
because you do not have Christian Kirk anymore. And you did not see Rondale Moore in that role a year ago. We saw him in space. You saw him get a lot of checkdowns, a lot of bubble screens. He He's on the move. He's going laterally, horizontally. You didn't see a lot of him going downfield. Now, what was intriguing was if you go back to August and a lot of those training camp practices, many of which we're not able to report on, I mean, think about it now. There were a lot of chunk throws to him downfield in August. And I just sort of figured, okay, you know, he's going to be that guy once the regular season starts. Well, it was anything but. And Cliff Kingsbury, who's a really humble guy and, and always cites himself first, even sometimes unnecessarily so to cover for other players uh, in the locker room, you know, said, yeah, that's on me. We should have used him maybe a little bit differently. But that's not going to be the case this year, that he's too explosive. And when he is down, we're going to get him downfield. He has the capability to run that route tree per Sean Jefferson. And then when we had A.J. Green in, just last week on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports when I was carrying Wolf's Keister for three shows. And A.J. Green, we asked him about Rondell Moore, and he called him the most explosive player I've been around. And Wolf and I are like, wait a minute, you've been in this game more than a decade. You've gone to seven Pro Bowls, the most explosive player you've been around? So, you know, we tweet out some of these these comments like you do and, and I do, and it gets a lot of attention from who? The fantasy football yes. gurus out there because, of course, they want to see – uh, an up-and-comer, an unknown, a guy a little bit off the radar who's going to get a lot of targets, a lot of targets downfield, has the ability for yards after the catch. That is Rondell Moore. And I think there's another dynamic just watching some of these offseason sessions is that with the addition of Hollywood Brown, I think those two guys are going to push each other. You know, there's already the questions, who's faster, who is more? Well, that's great. You know what? Uh, because if those two guys are pushing each other, not unlike J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones did to start last year. Some friendly competition. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, I find that very intriguing. And, and, and Rondell Moore, we know that he has the ability to get separation. So if he, he – now, is he going to get a contested catch at five foot seven, And how is that going to work? Well, guess what? I think that's a moot point because a lot of times he's able to get separation. You're going to find him in space. That ability for him to stretch the defense like a Hollywood Brown, and you mentioned seeing him talking about more do it in training camp, but we didn't see it in the regular season. I know there's there's not supposed to be a lot of math here on Cardinals coverage who presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, because Paul Calvisi yeah. lives by the mantra, there is no Hashtag math. no math. Yet, next-gen stats. I know you're not a big analytical <laughs> oh, guy, but I no, found this let's go. fascinating All because right. you want to target Rondell Moore down the field. Yet, Rondell Moore, according to the Next Gen Stats, averaged 1.1 yards of targeted air yards. In other words, throws at, behind, or just in front of the line of scrimmage. 1.1. Lowest mark in the league by 3.5 yards. Wow. And that that signals to me they obviously were not taking advantage of his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. Now, was that because... They were working on other things. It was someone else. That was Christian Kirk's role. You can't play Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore at the same time. And Kingsbury did admit that there were a number of guys in front of Rondell Moore. Well, there is no one in front of Rondell Moore anymore. So do we see that targeted air yards? Obviously, hopefully, it better increase substantially to where we see him more down the field as opposed to the line of scrimmage. And Kyler has the ability to throw that ball. That's one of the reasons Hollywood Brown wants to be on this team is is some of those same next-gen stats and metrics will tell you that 
Kyler had was the most accurate deep ball thrower in the league a year ago. So he's very capable of the chunk pass at the very least. You listen to Sean Jefferson, uh, you know, you, you hear Rondell Moore and how confident he is in his route tree and getting downfield. So that is something we're going to be tracking from the get-go, are we not? Not only in the preseason, although you're going to keep vanilla, I, guess, I, I get it, but we're going to see, at least in some of those training camp sessions, all right, how often are they getting it to him downfield? How effective is he? And and then, you know what? Guess what? Week one, Kansas City might find out the hard way because if they're looking at last year's film on Rondell Moore and everything we've heard at least, that is not going to be applicable to this season because 1.1 yards – downfield so that means that at least half of his throws were behind the line of scrimmage because that's essentially the line of scrimmage I mean that is Rondale his middle name is horizontal lateral more honestly screen throws backwards passes and it it doesn't it 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 doesn't put him in the best position to utilize his skill set and I think that needs obviously to change. We're, before we get to the defense, anything else offensively as far as what you saw, what you heard, what you learned? I do have one concern, and we probably have the same concern when we talk about the offense here this uh, off season before we get to training camp. But anything else offensively that that you saw or heard this offseason? You know, and we've already mentioned Kyler and Hollywood Brown, but I would say this aspect of it that if you were to draft a receiver. And let's just say the Cardinals went with the rookie receiver round one. And keep in mind, all the receivers they wanted were gone by number 20. Yes. So that wasn't even feasible. But just theoretically, if you, it wouldn't be anywhere near as advanced as Kyler and Hollywood Brown are right now. They're already making adjustments with eye contact, with signals, some of the same signals that they used at Oklahoma. Hollywood Brown obviously has three seasons under his belt. He is plug and play unlike a rookie receiver. I don't care how talented the rookie receiver is. There's always that learning curve, and especially in an advanced offense like Cliff Kingsbury. And just being able to make adjustments based on what a defense is showing you and then being at the right spot at the right time and doing it with precision, that is already there between Kyler Murray and his new receiver, Hollywood Brown. And then when you hear Hollywood Brown talk about how much time they have spent in the Dallas area working together, and then when Hollywood Brown is leaving his final media session and he's asked, what do you got going for this summer? Just an innocuous throwaway question. He says, well, I'll be wherever Kyler's yes. going to be. You realize how tight these guys are. And so there's no reason there has to be a ramp up between those two. That can be a very productive pairing from day one. The learning curve. There is no learning curve. With those two, maybe a little bit within the offense, but they are already well ahead. It's the known versus the unknown. Why a lot of teams, like the Rams, like to go with the established player versus draft picks. Yeah, good point. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as for other things, I think we've talked about everything on offense except probably our biggest fear yes. or concern, and it would be the big guys up front. So I don't know when you want to get to that. <laughs> I don't know if, you know, are, are you a guy who deals with the bad news first or the good news first, Gree? You know, there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who want the bad news first or they want the bad news last. Put it this way, Paul. It was not a concern of mine until earlier this week. Who is playing center? I'm walking around yeah. asking people, players, people watching on the sideline, can you play center? Rodney Hudson, absent all off season, And when you hear the head coach say, it was not excused. That is telling. Because one, Kingsbury hardly ever gives you anything, opens that door, and it's very easy to say, we excused him. Teams do it all over the place. Jimmy Garoppolo excused from the 49ers camp. 
Now, DK Metcalf, not excused from Seattle Seahawks. Baker Mayfield, please stay away. You are excused. But no Rodney Hudson. The starting center, the anchor of your offensive line, someone the Cardinals specifically targeted to help improve Kyler Murray as a quarterback and improve that offensive line. And you gave up a third-round pick. And that push up front to protect Kyler Murray because we know the middle push up the front when Max Garcia was in there and getting hands in the face of Kyler Murray, it makes it more difficult. So, yeah, the number one concern I have on offense and maybe for the entire team between now and training camp, who is playing center? And maybe we were remiss as the media in not asking that question much earlier in the offseason. But if you know Rodney Hudson, you know he's all about ball. This dude is a grinder. Every single offensive lineman and coach said last year that, hey, if Rodney Hudson didn't feel somewhat of an obligation to meet the media, he'd never meet the media. He doesn't care about the media. He doesn't want the spotlight. He just wants to ball. He's in there watching film. He's in early. He's helping the young guys. He's helping set the game plan. How many times did we hear, and Justin Pugh just told the story with Dave Pash in the Pash Podcast, which you can catch uh, coming up real soon with the Pash Pod, but you know there was that play in the Tennessee game where he noticed something and he made a check and it resulted in a touchdown pass because he recognized a front and a liability in the Titans' defense. So here's a guy who's astute. Here's a guy who is stout at the point of attack, and he's been all about football. So when we heard he hadn't been there for all these OTAs, well, Marcus Golden hadn't been there for voluntary, OTAs. right? You know, there there were, there were plenty of offensive linemen who had been there for maybe one or two, but had missed the majority of them. There were there were a number of big name players and starters who had fit into that category. And and look, after COVID, and after these off season sessions were missed entirely in 2020, there's much less importance being placed on these sessions by especially the players. So we didn't think much of it. But then when all of a sudden it's mandatory minicamp and Rodney Hudson isn't here, where's 61? And then the coach says the, accent, the absence is not excused. Okay, the speculation is on. So what do you think is the best theory? Do we even have an inkling as to what might be going on here? Is it contract-related, more money-wanted? Is he looking to step away, call it a career? I mean, I... I, I, Speaking of the contract, real quick, could it be a a desire for more money? Yes. A longer-term deal? Yes. More guaranteed money? Yes. Could it be on the Cardinals' side because his cap number went from 2.9 to 12.6? Did the Cardinals want him to work with the team a little bit more on the cap number? Could be. I don't know. He is the only offensive lineman under contract... For next season. Right. So, you know, you're looking at someone that's part of your future and you lose that part and it's a huge part. Now, all of a sudden, you look at the roster, all right, Sean Harlow has been working at center, made one start last season there. Lasita Smith, your sixth-round draft pick, that's a lot to ask. Wow, it's a lot. And then we find out Justin Pugh might give it a go and see, maybe try to extend his career. I love what Pugh had to say as far as working out at center. We'll try it out. We'll see how it goes. If I go out there and don't play real well, you'll see me at left guard. So, okay, what does that mean exactly? There's two ways you can – ways you can take that that is okay well there's got to be depth behind Rodney Hudson so um you know what and 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 without a, a Max Garcia who had played there at times but Sean Harlow had had been the option behind Rodney Hudson as well so 
Uh, is Are we talking strictly depth? Are we talking the Cardinals need a starter at center? There, there's a couple different ways you could take that. What's also interesting is how Justin Pugh said repeatedly how demanding mentally the center position is. Here's a guy who's been in the league for a decade. Here's a guy who's a very high IQ guy, very well-spoken. Uh, so if anyone has the capability of mastering the center position, it would be someone like a Justin Pugh, and he's talking about how demanding it is mentally. So to think, to your point, like on, for example, Lasita Smith, who might have all the skills perhaps to come in and, and compete physically, but to ask a rookie to do that when a dude who has been in the league for a decade is swimming mentally at center, that's not feasible, not realistic. And and you you got to hope that's not in a, a possible scenario or that's going to be a real liability to the point where even a guard might be calling out the Mike linebacker. Physically less demanding, mentally much more intense. That's how Pugh described the center position. Although mm. I say this, Justin Pugh does have one thing going for him that Sean Harlow and Lucina Smith do not have. Okay, what's that? His college background. <laughs> no. Went to the fine, oh, outstanding no. wow. college, Syracuse yeah. University, where the likes of sure. Quentin Harris... Yeah. Dave Pash, okay. Craig Riolu, right. Justin Pugh. So I, I actually, I, I'm, I'm talking myself out of this as a concern. I think the Cardinals yeah. are set at center, Paul. I see. Yeah, the Harvard or the Finger Lakes is that what you're saying? <laughs> Syracuse, you? That's upstate up there. New York. That's yeah, right. Harvard of upstate New York. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, uh, bottom line, though, yeah. honestly, I do not think as we talk here on the final day of the off season, the last day of minicamp, I'm going to make a prediction that the Cardinals starting center week one is currently not on the roster. Really? That is, if Rodney Hudson does not return to the Arizona Cardinals. And I did not see this scenario unfolding. I, I did not. For everything that has happened in a very eventful offseason that was started with the whole Kyler Murray drama and then the manifesto, the Russian novelist Tolstoy S. Manifesto replete with All a type. caps. Yeah, and a typo at the very end asking for $200 million plus. So, I mean, for everything that has happened in this offseason, I did not foresee this scenario where the Cardinals could be in need of a center and don't minimize the value of a center. We saw what a problem it was, and it's a great observation, especially with a Kyla Murray and, and just his stature. You know, obviously as a fine diminutive American myself, there's not much that I say, okay, you know, it doesn't what, – what can other quarterbacks do that Kyler can't do? Well, the one thing is he can't be a Big Ben or a Josh Allen. And stand in there at six foot five, six foot six, two hundred thirty, two hundred forty pounds, and just be an oak tree in the pocket, and still make a pass with guys hanging off his legs. No, that's not going to happen. That that is not Kyler Murray. So, and I've said this before, agree, is that when you look at what was the difference in the second half of the season with the offense. Yeah, Kyler was coming off injury, and yeah, there was no D hop. I get it, but I just don't think he ever trusted the right guard position. And especially against the Rams and Aaron Donald. I think it freaked him out. I think it got to him mentally when that was a liability, when 99 is busting through the B-gap repeatedly. And so now all of a sudden you have one eye downfield, another eye on a certain gap where a certain player is lined up, and he's a human wrecking ball. So this is something you have to shore up, that interior offensive line, more than anything for a Kyla Murray. Because I just think it rattles his confidence when the pocket is not protected and it's not an absolute from up the middle. So they better figure out and answer this. Now, could Justin Pugh be the guy? And could your, 
your guards be a Will Hernandez, a left guard, and a Justin Murray, a right guard? And could that be feasible and viable? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, Justin Pugh's very good at what he does, and I think he does have the ability to make that transition. There might be a learning curve early in the year. And what do they play the Rams in week three? So, okay. But, you know, Will Hernandez has plenty of experience at left guard, and Justin Murray was your starting right yes. guard going into the season before the back injury. So, there is a possible scenario. The problem was, the problem would be your left was like zero depth in that case. In that depth chart right there, okay, you know, you're, you're down to a Sean Harlow and to be named later in terms of people who would be able to fill in interior O-line-wise. They did bring in Billy Price, former Giants center, who still is on the market, and he was brought in, according to reports, for a visit recently. He'll be 28 in October, so there is an option. But again, it is something that neither one of us anticipated having to discuss going into training camp, which begins in six weeks. It doesn't sound – I mean, six weeks, long time. Yet, of course, we're talking about this here now. You had to have thought that the team is aware of anything that is on the field related that we find out. I mean, oh sure, the DeAndre Absolutely. Hopkins suspension, yep. they had to have oh, known they that knew. They knew. weeks, months yep. before. Yep. Rodney Stop. Hudson, discussing things with him. Yep. They the, had to know that this was somewhat on the table. The Hollywood Brown trade, I can yes. tell you. I mean, that that was formulated and agreed upon mo- a couple of months at least before the draft. You just couldn't put it out there because, for example, I would presume Baltimore wouldn't want it known because then all of a sudden, if people know Baltimore is going to be at twenty three, then you know people are going to make moves accordingly and, and maybe move up in front of them to get a receiver they might have targeted or, or what have you. So. Yeah, the team and, and the fact that we haven't seen a name off the street come in yet, does that mean these things they're working through, air quotes Calvisi over here, what Cliff Kingsbury told the media, that there's someone optimistic there will be a resolution, there will be an agreement or an answer? I don't know. He, he was so quick with the media that you didn't get a feeling of optimism from the head coach. I mean, you can sort of read the vibe and in terms of his response to a question and, and kind of sense whether he's optimistic or pessimistic. Yeah, that one, um, I had a hard time getting a read either way. I just go back to the fact that Rodney Hudson, this guy has been all in on football. And so I, I don't, unless he had such a, a, a bitter taste in his mouth to the end of last season, I'm not sure why he'd walk away at this point, especially with the salary he's about to command. Here's hoping that things do get worked out between the Cardinals and Rodney Hudson because this Cardinals team is better when Rodney Hudson is on the football field. That was evident last year in the games that he did not play versus the games that he did play. All right, a lot of talk about the offense. Let's switch it up. Looking at the defense here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. What stood out to you here this offseason when we talk about the defense? Obviously, no Chandler Jones, the biggest hole on this defense. Again, another Syracuse product. Paul, just want to point that out as well. Uh, I was adamant that he needed to be retained, not just because of the alma mater, but I do think he is one of the better edge rushers in the game. But you do not have Chandler Jones. This defense, what's it going to look like? What needs to be addressed? What did you see? What did you hear? Things that were good, things that were not so good. You know, you look at the Cardinals' defense, and there's talent. There's a lot of talent. But how's it going to come together? 
where are some of these guys going to play ultimately? Isaiah Simmons, okay, unbelievable talent. And, and he had a breakthrough year in a lot of ways. Now Vance Joseph has pumped the brakes a little bit, saying as many dynamic, outstanding plays as he made, he has to remain consistent. There were definitely plays that should have been made that were not okay. But Isaiah Simmons. And so we've noticed this during the open portion of practice. He's quite often working with the safeties. No, not quite often. Every single <laughs> okay, practice right. that has been open to okay. the media right. during the open portion, he's okay. been working with the safeties. Okay, I want to make that clear. Exclusively working with the safeties. So what does that mean? Does that mean that they're going to use him in multiple spots, which I believe probably more than anyone. I, I just Every time I hear the Cardinals decision makers talking about I, Isaiah Simmons is going to be the weak side inside linebacker, and then we get around to the season because it's been two years running, and you see him in five or six different spots, you go, okay, everybody's sandbagging around here. It's gamesmanship from the coaches. But but once again, Isaiah Simmons, where exactly is he going to play? Where is he best served with his skill set? I'll even throw in a Byron Murphy Jr. You know, Cliff Kingsbury has said more than once that they would love to have him as their inside slot corner. That's where he really excels. That's where he's really elite. Now, does he have the ability to play outside? Uh, absolutely. And we've seen him out there plenty. But now with the tragic passing of Jeff Gladney, is he going to have to play out there just based on necessity? So, and then there's a Zayvon Collins. Once again, an unbelievable talent. He's got all the measurables. You stand next to this dude. It's ridiculous. He, he's, he's legit almost 6'5", 260 pounds, and he can move. But can he be a Mike linebacker? Can he call the defense? Can he call the checks? Can the rest of the defense trust in what he's telling them? And, and you have to instantaneously react to what an offense is showing you and then make those adjustments before they snap the ball. So there are a lot of guys that you look at and go, okay, they're talented, but where are they best served? I'll even go with some of the rookies. You know, Cameron Thomas, who had his hand in the dirt quite often in the college game. Is he truly an outside linebacker? Now, I just did a recent Big Red Rage with him. He'll look you in the eye and say, absolutely, I'm an outside linebacker. So, okay, uh, Amajay Sanders, who you watch at six foot five, the third-round rookie out of Cincinnati, the athleticism, just, just getting through the bags and just the speed with which— How fluid he is yes, in moves, and movement. You're like, okay, and we talked about this with Wolf before where— there are a couple of positions as rookies where you don't necessarily have to think. You just have to play. Running back would be one. Give him the ball. Just let him run. Make his reads and his cuts. You know, If you have a situational pass rusher like a MyJ Sanders, go get the quarterback. It's second and long, third and long. But again, how are all these pieces going to come together on defense? Because these are guys who have played different positions at time. And how ultimately are they going to be used? by Vance Joseph. That, to me, is the most intriguing thing when we get to August. A lot more questions on the defensive side of the ball, but if you have an offense that's scoring 30-35 points like this team was a year ago, then you just need to hold your opponent down. Now, I do think it's a defense that's capable of, but I share the same questions and thoughts Isaiah Simmons. Yes, Vance Joseph, quote, he's a linebacker first. Simmons said, linebacker is the main focus at the end of the day. Have not seen him play linebacker at all this offseason. Zayvon Collins, where is he heading into year two? Some of his comments to the media earlier this offseason talking about how well he thought he played outside linebacker late last season. That was by necessity. They needed him. Plus, he just needed to get on the football field. Is he better suited to rush the quarterback, get into the backfield? That's not what he was drafted for. But if you make that commitment, not just because of the first-round draft status, but that is a, that's a huge investment. So you just need him on the football field. But you get rid of Jordan Hicks. And I share the same opinion as you had 
late last season, Paul, if Hicks is on this roster, he's not beating out Zayvon Collins. You had to get rid of Jordan Hicks in order for Zayvon Collins to take that next step to not feel any pressure or that you know, tap on the shoulder, looking yep. over his shoulder. Yet, has Collins been able to assume that role? Quote, I could be the man in the middle. I could be somewhere in the middle, but not call it, meaning calling the defense. Do we see more Nick Vigil calling the defense than we anticipated, expected, or should see in 2022? Yeah, and Zayvon Collins offered that up himself to the media, that there are scenarios where he's not calling the defense. And you know what? He didn't get a lot of meaningful defensive snaps. Certainly a Mike linebacker, he did not. Not with Jordan Hicks, who played the most defensive snaps of any player on the Cardinals' D a year ago, and he was the second-leading tackler. So, you know, Jordan Hicks was voted a team captain by that locker room, even though at the time he wasn't supposedly the starter. So the players know. The players know. And the coaches know that the players realize who's worthy of the playing time. And you can't risk losing the locker room if the guy is not ready or capable because it's all predicated on the best player plays. And, yeah, salary gets factored in, absolutely, and draft status gets factored in, and you get every chance to win that job. Sometimes you get multiple chances to win that job if you're paid highly or drafted highly. But in this case, if you're not capable, then you can't have that be the liability that takes down your defense. Let's go back to the opening game 2016. And there was a third-round rookie corner by the name of Brandon Williams. And the Cardinals were playing the New England Patriots. It was Jimmy G, and it was at home. And that was the much ballyhooed 2016 season where the Cardinals did less with more than maybe any recent season in history. And B.A. kept repeatedly pointing to that week one loss, close loss against the Patriots. And the key play was a blown coverage by the rookie where Pat P. and Tyron Matthews sort of looked at each other and everyone, and they made a check, and the rookie didn't get it, and all of a sudden there's a receiver running free down the sideline. Chris Hogan, I think it was. Anyway, Jimmy G hit him, and the 40-yard touchdown, and guess what? That was a difference in the game. So can you risk that if you're the Arizona Cardinals with Zayvon Collins? Yes, there's going to come a time where he's going to have to learn on the job. But if that learning curve is too risky... And you heard Vance Joseph this offseason, what I thought was a telling comment, say that I can simplify the defense, and I have simplified the defense, but it still has to be a challenge to an NFL offense. Meaning <laughs> it can't get so remedial that an opposing NFL quarterback goes, really? And he's looking over center, he goes, really? Okay, I can read this like, a, you know, like it's size 30 font on a prompter. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the big font at the eye exam. So, there's got to be something challenging about the defense to make a quarterback think, or it's going to be a really long day on that field. It goes back to the expectation of Isaiah Simmons his first year in the game against San Francisco, and all of a sudden that quick slant, and Simmons was out of position. We got a long, yes. I believe, was it a touchdown or at least yep. a 60-plus yard Jeff Wilson. catch and run, and all of a sudden Simmons was done. I mean, he was yep. out of sight, out of mind. Yep. You, you can't. You can't afford to miss on these players, but you also can't afford to put them in positions that they're just not quite ready. Simmons did take that step forward. Can Collins now take that step forward? And that's a great recollection. Why am I going back to 2016 when the 2020 COVID season, because I vividly remember sitting there in Santa Santa Clara. (laughs) Yeah, the stadium's empty. Not only is the stadium empty, but there were wildfires. And, I mean, the smoke in the air... 
I mean, they were a tick under the acceptable air level, air pollution level because of the smoke. That game was like surreal in so many ways. And then, of course, the Cardinals came back and got that week one win against the defending NFC champions. So that was a big win and a big start to that season. But you're right. That game almost – it. That that play almost cost the Cardinals the game. That blown assignment, and and you can't. And considering it's the same coaching staff, you can't tell me that doesn't resonate. And they don't think, okay, we can't let that. We can't have that happen in Week One against Patrick Mahomes. You you can't give Patrick Mahomes anything, much less a mental error that would result in a big play. I'm fascinated by the inside linebackers, how that will materialize, and then obviously who's lining up where the cornerback situation obviously is the most pressing need on this team that needs to be addressed defensively you brought it up Jeff Gladney unfortunate tragic yet as we heard from both Cliff Kingsbury and Vince Joseph we have to move on the game doesn't slow down and it's the it's the business of football but this team needs to figure out what they're going to do because right now Paul Byron Murphy Marco Wilson and Antonio Hamilton those are your top three corners yeah and if you want Murphy in the slot Wilson on one side who's on the other side so who and we know Robert Alford is still out there and he is certainly knowledgeable of this defense and capable but is it going to be by committee is it someone else but they need to figure out what they're going to do at the cornerback position. And he self-proclaimed ready to roll based on his Twitter yes. account recently, Robert Alford. So, Very cryptic yeah. in, in his tweets. Is that a matter of time? Is that almost a you know a done deal? Is he just sort of playing it as a ploy to miss all this offseason stuff and he'll show up in – in training camp, obviously he vet move. He knows the he knows the defense. He wouldn't be the first vet to pull that stunt, so uh, no doubt about that. Then again, the Cardinals have some money to deal with, do they not? Because of the Jordan Phillips post June first uh, cut designation. Once you got around to the month of June, then guess what? The Cardinals got an extra ten million dollars under the cap to make a move. You got to think the corner is going to be the first priority. Could there also be a time time sign at edge rusher? Are you still looking for? a veteran known entity at edge. I mean, I, I look at that and you have Marcus Golden on one side. You have a Devon Kennard on the other side. I'm guessing it's his job to lose. As Devon Kennard told us on a recent edition of the Big Red Rage, he looked me right in the eye when I asked him that question. He said, well, I'd been a starter everywhere I'd been in the NFL until I got to Arizona. And he sort of let that hang. I said, okay, fair enough. And you know what? He's really stout against the run and he's great at setting the edge. No question about that. Does he have the ability to consistently hit and harass a quarterback? We'll find out. Once again, I think he's going to get every chance. And then you have a Dennis Gardeck who says, you know what, I thought I was back last year, but until I got through this offseason and got back on the field in April, I realized, no, no, I really am back now in year two coming off the torn ACL. Because remember, that was in week 15 of 2020. That was late in that season. And if you go back to that Philadelphia game where he, he wrecked his knee and had to be carted off that field, I, he was an absolute game difference maker he had a couple of sacks he had a couple of tackles for loss he was all over that field so if he can somehow regain that and get back and you know what charlie bullen told us in the big red rage as well great and we've really featured the outside linebacker spot here recently <laughs> he said you know what i know we only had one sack a year ago coming off the knee injury but when you watch the film 
he was still a problem. He was still a penetrator, and he was still getting past his blocker, and and he was he was freeing other guys up to get in and hit the quarterback because you know he was just he was just a game wrecker inside, and so that was good to hear actually because remember they gave him three years, twelve million dollars. He's not back on a one-year deal. They saw enough. So, okay, Dennis Gardeck. Then you have the two rookies, Cameron Thomas, the aforementioned MyJ Sanders. Every one of those guys is a different body type. They're really different. So if you're going to use a rotation out there opposite Marcus Golden, just that in and of itself will be a challenge for the tackle because you're not going to be – DJ Humphreys talks about this. You know what? If they're giving me one pass rusher all game, great. I'll learn his moves. I know what to anticipate, but if you're giving me a different guy, snap to snap, different body type, different speed, they're bringing different moves, that that is much more of a challenge to try and keep that guy off my quarterback. So maybe maybe some way that is the thinking by Advanced Joseph if they don't end up getting a time time sign at outside linebacker. And it doesn't just have to be, well, we'll measure it by the number of sacks because if you're just disrupting the quarterback, getting him off his spot, and you're going to need a presence in that opponent's backfield, especially with the cornerback situation. It kind of goes hand in hand. If you've got great corners, then you can afford to maybe not have a Chandler Jones. But if you don't have a Chandler Jones, now all of a sudden you need someone to get into the backfield yeah. because you don't have that solid secondary. It, it, you know What comes first, the chicken or the egg yeah. kind of a thing as far as what to address? And as Isaiah Simmons said recently, he said, you know what, Chandler, you knew the ball was coming out fast, quote-unquote, just – just Chandler being a Hall of Fame pass rusher, a guy with more than 100 sacks on his resume. Now, was he the team leader in the sack department last year? No. Marcus Golden actually had one more sack than he did. But he did lead the Arizona Cardinals in QB pressures. So there's that. And there's just the fact that an offensive coordinator going into a game against the Cardinals the past five years would start by saying, how are we going to account for and block 55? Yes. And before the Cardinals made the trade for Chandler Jones, that was the big need. A pass rusher the other team had to account for. So what does that mean now? Well, we'll start to get an idea week one against against Kansas City. But if you're telling me that Vance Joseph is going to have to rely on scheme and getting exotic and varied with defensive sets, and now he's bringing the blitz and bringing numbers, you know, that's risky. It's risky. Can it be effective? Sure. Chandler Jones went down and. 2020 in Game 5, I was there in New York, another totally empty stadium in the COVID year where we're up in the mezzanine level because they wouldn't let us anywhere near the sideline. And you could hear every word on the stinking Cardinals sideline because it would just echo throughout the whole stadium. And Chandler Jones went down with the torn muscle in his arm, and then boom, you know, the Cardinals ended up with 18 different players that season with a single sack and a dozen players who had two sacks or more. So it can be done. It has been done. But the Cardinals also had Hassan Reddick that year, who had 12 and a half sacks. I have the utmost confidence in Vance Joseph to be able to scheme it up. The question, the concern is, does he have the talent? The players are on the football field, not Vance Joseph. So that to me, because he is a great defensive coordinator, does he have the players to be able to put in motion what he sets forth each and every week? And you know, there's one player who might be the key to the entire season, and we haven't mentioned him yet. Have you heard of a guy named J.J. Watt? The Cardinals were 7-0 and when J.J. Watt was healthy. And it wasn't just his play and the fact that he commands a double team and the fact that if you look at his last four games before he went down, 
uh, with a shoulder injury, I mean, he was all over the stat sheet. Uh, there were games where he had a ton of pressures and quarterback hits and tackles for loss and just tackles, period. But it goes beyond that for me, Craig. And it's something we saw at the end of the mandatory minicamp. And there was the team gathered around Cliff Kingsbury, and the head coach would have something to say. And I, I, I'm guessing he told him, guess what? You're off. There's no practice tomorrow, whether they knew that or not, because they got a good rise out of everyone after Cliff Kingsbury spoke to him. But Number 99 had a very emphatic, demonstrative talk with the team. And and what we've heard anecdotally behind the scenes, not specifically that speech and whatever he said to the guys, but what the Cardinals didn't realize in signing J.J. Watt is just what a leader he is behind the scenes, how often he does talk to the team, uh, how much respect he commands. And I'll just tell you, being down on that sideline, J.J. Watt, when he was in uniform, and he was playing and leading. It's sort of like, I don't know, walking into a biker bar and you got a you got a badass black belt on your arm. You know what? You're a little more mouthy walking into that bar when you got a personal protector with you that's capable of jack stomping anyone in there, right? That's sort of the element JJ Watt brings. You go into that fight that is an NFL game, and you just feel that much more fortified and convicted that we have a chance to win because we've got Big bad number 99. And so if you told me, if you gave me one wish this year, it would be the following. That J.J. Watt has a healthy campaign and that he is there every single Sunday for every single game because he is that sort of difference maker, not just on the field, but the vibe on the sideline. And guys just believe when J.J. Watt is there in uniform. Kingsbury compared it to the Brady effect. Tom Brady comes in, and what happens? Elevates everyone's mm. game on both sides of the ball. You just want to play better, not to disappoint J.J. Watt. You want to play better. And then, obviously, with him on the football field, much like Chandler Jones, yeah. where's number yeah. 99? You have to account yeah. for him. Maybe that opens up something on the other side for Marcus Golden or Zach Allen. Yeah. I mean, think about Tom Brady coming to Tampa, just real quick. They went, what, a dozen years without even making the playoffs? Yeah. He, he shows up. They had largely the same roster and they win the Super Bowl. He was the culture. Tom Brady was a culture. Not unlike Kurt Warner was the culture when he came in and, and really reversed things for the Cardinals. That's the most instrumental moment in the last 30 years in Arizona Cardinals history was Kurt Warner not settling for just making the playoffs, but making a playoff run. Carson Palmer, when he was here, would run that Friday practice. And so J.J. Watt is that guy on the defensive side. You know, there, there, there were times when the Cardinals were really rolling back in 2015, and you would see a Tyron Matthew who was the heartbeat of the defense. He would be the guy delivering that speech before the game. And people, oh, come on, that's high school Harry stuff. No, it's not. Guys, look at that stuff, and it gets them ready to play. Carlos Dansby, when he came in that next year, wasn't exact. He wasn't in the prime of his career, but he was that guy who was that team leader. And so it's necessary, and J.J. Watt really excels in that role. And he's just the rising tide that lifts all boats on, on that sideline when he's healthy and he's in uniform. And once again, that would be my one wish. If given one wish, the genie out of the <laughs> bottle, I would say just keep him healthy. I'll take J.J. Watt for 17 games. Doesn't have to be a lot of sacks, but just being on the football field I think would make a huge impact for the Cardinals in 2022. All right, Paul, anything else you got here before you 
hop on that private jet for your yeah. summer break yeah. until training camp. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, as I, uh, you know, I, I can't even, you know, if I had a jet, I couldn't even afford the fuel right now. Are you kidding me? So, uh, yeah, it's a double. You know what? I mean, I, I think, and I try and rewind everything that happened in the offseason. Obviously, Kyla Murray is still a big question. Yes. What do you believe? Do you believe a Mike Garofalo, who when Kyla showed up for the OTAs a couple weeks ago the first time, said that he showed up in hopes of sparking further conversations that maybe things had stalled. So we tend to think it's imminent. Is it? Has anyone actually said that? I know Cliff Kingsbury has made it sort of sound that and way. And I believe I heard you say June 13th was your well, predicted date of yeah. a contract extension. And yeah. we speak here on, oh, yes, June yeah. 15th. <laughs> yes. Yes, in hindsight, I should have had them go back and edit that <laughs> tape and put in August 13th. That would be a much more viable date. Um, and look, I don't know what to believe necessarily. Look, I do believe, look, this is my own personal opinion. Nobody's told me this. I just think the agent has been counterproductive. I, I really do. I'm not sure a deal would have been done by now, but it certainly didn't help. Absolutely not. To have the agent go out because teams are not going to, A, react kindly to that sort of rhetoric. B, they're not going to want to set a precedent that, you know what, we're going to adhere to the agent's timetable. So if you told me that a team would respond to an agent's manifesto like that by saying, eh, you know what, we're going to purposely make you wait just to prove our point that we're not going to be influenced in any way by any of your tactics, um, I would believe that. But at the same time, this is a massive expenditure of funds by any NFL team. He's going to set a franchise record by a country mile in terms of value of the contract. Uh, whether he's there for day one of camp, I don't know. Do you believe things like Michael Irvin and the NFL Network saying in May that I was sitting next to Kyler Courtside for a Dallas Mavericks playoff game, and he said, I'm not showing up unless I'm paid. So, okay, was this a good faith effort, the OTA and the mandatory minicamp? Was Kyler here in, harps, in hopes of what Mike Garofolo said, re-sparking another round of negotiations? and getting closer to signing on the line that is dotted, or are you tracking for a training camp holdout? We honestly don't know. We have no idea. And so, uh, and you know what? No one could sit here and say if Kyler isn't there for training camp that that's a positive. It just isn't. And and, and there are new receivers and minus D hop. There's going to be some new schemes to be learned, and you want to – you want that chemistry and that connection between your quarterback and your receivers. It is vital. Our lasting memory of last season, at least to me, is the Rams going down the field for a Super Bowl winning drive, and all they had was Cooper Cup. Every other receiver was out of the game. And Even, they made it work. And they made it work. Four for four, Matthew Stafford at Cooper Cup, despite the fact he was getting double and triple teamed. And then you learned after the game that they were showing up at 6 in the morning during the season and working on that chemistry, being at the right spot at the right time and that precision. And so, you know what? That is important in this game where a couple inches can decide a game, where a single play can decide a game. So we'll see. It all hangs in the balance. My final word is this. Hard Knocks is showing up for the end of the season. <laughs> they might want to rethink that and show up for the beginning of the season, starting with camp. They should have been here during the entire offseason, considering <laughs> yes. as much stuff yes. that has happened here yeah. through not just OTAs yeah. and minicamp, but you're talking about the draft and free agency. Yeah, it has been uh, it has been uh, an eventful yeah. five months yeah. since the Cardinals last played a football yeah. game in Los Angeles. I mean, HBO is leaving a lot of good content on that cutting room floor by not showing up in the offseason or in the preseason. Good stuff, Paul. Looking forward to it. Appreciate it. And uh, by the way, Bergang mentioned this off the top. 
quick programming note. We are hitting pause on Cardinals Cover 2. Much more in the days and weeks to come. But for now, as always, thanks to our producer, Jim Omohundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. Enjoy the summer, Bird Gang. <laughs>